I'm Jake Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside, just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow site, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow site is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sites, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HEJ products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hejsports.com. Hello, we're at the BATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. All right, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America Podcast. Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Vance. Tonight's guest is a podcast host himself. He is a he's a co-host to We Are His Servants podcast. Now, this is very spiritual podcast, and there is there's on Spotify, YouTube, and iTunes, and they do a really good job of focusing on lesson and their podcasts are in between oh 16 to 23 minutes, you know, very direct, very specific. Now, I have from that podcast, uh, John Duffield, and he is uh, military. He's currently active. He's uh, stationed in Georgia. So we're, we get to find it, more about him and his role and his relationship and how he has been able to encompass um, our, our father with his um, military background and hunting. And so we get to talk about his experience and how he got into hunting, where he's at today. We're going to talk about hog hunting, pigs, and of course, we always got our my uh, popular, ever-growing popular uh, hunting episode on Friday. So at this point in time, I'm going to let John take over, and so and he's going to be able to discuss everything I just said in more depth. So here you go, John. Go ahead and take over. Hey, thanks, Jeff. I uh, appreciate you having us on or having me on. Uh, like you said, I'm John Duffield. I live and uh, hunt now in Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, just a little bit about myself. When I, as a kid, I grew up no no uh, father or parents that wanted to hunt. So I was actually working at a pipe foundry in Pennsylvania, and one of the bosses was like, "Hey, man, you you hunt?" And I was like, "No, not at all." And uh, he said. Let's, uh, me and my buddies, we have a turkey cabin up in the Pocono mountains and, uh, we'd love, we'd love to have you up there. And so we went up and I fell in love with turkey hunting and man, we, we, we would go up and we'd, it was just like your typical hunting cabin, right? So it was like everybody would show up on a Friday after work and, these guys had so much patience for me because at this time I'm probably like uh, 16, 17. I had my own vehicle, so I had my license, and I didn't have a gun. I didn't have orange. I didn't have the you know I didn't have the vest or anything. And these guys okay. were like just super cool dudes. The one the one old man he had like a a crab a crab shell, and it had a slate in it, and that's that was like the call. You know, it was passed down generation to generation, and the first time I I was, again, wasn't a hunter, wasn't really an outdoorsman. I had, I thought it would be pretty cool to, you know, to harvest your own meat. And, uh, yeah, the first morning he wakes me up and makes, we make some sandwiches and we go out. And I heard that first bird, that thunder chicken out in the distance. And I was uh-huh. hooked, like in, instantly, you know, carry, didn't, again, none of my own equipment. And, you know, the, it started from there. My love for the outdoors, like was right there. And it was crazy. It's crazy to see where I'm at today because turkey hunting to me now is like, it's kind of in Georgia, it's kind of hard, especially on base. There's not much Turkey. Uh, I'm much more focused on deer and, um, yeah, it was just, 
again, like I, I think what people what people are missing today and like getting got like everybody says, let's get some, you know, get the youth in. But what you're actually missing is that brotherhood of like going to a cabin and, and getting in with like, you know, your family members. I mean, these guys weren't family, blood family, but it was just such a good time to see everybody every week and uh, through the turkey season. And those are the memories that I'm I, that when I think of like hunting and outdoors, those are the memories that I get from like sitting by the fire and hanging out at this cabin. I just can't express that enough. Like these guys changed my life in the outdoor realm, like tenfold just by inviting me up. And so I think it's important that even, you know, if you have younger, a younger audience that wants to get into hunting, there's, there's plenty of guys that can mentor. And if you can mentor, just remember like, those those very those first interactions with the outdoors are going to be super impactful so just make it fun and make it enjoyable and like man there's nothing better than hearing a turkey out in the distance over a lake um yeah so moving on i ended up uh you know hunting with those guys for a turkey and then there were big time uh traditional archery guys so we they took me out and got me a bow up at cabela's there in pennsylvania and you know, got into deer hunting, started hanging stands and learning from them. So it's been, that's kind of like how I got into hunting. Very cool. Now with your first turkey, did you use a shotgun or try a tread boat uh, for your first uh, uh, harvest? No, it, it was with a shotgun. It was with uh, one of their shotguns actually. Uh, again, had nothing with me. They were just like, come up, enjoy and have fun. So yes. that's what we did. It was super cool. That is the best way to look at it because it, it's if if you if for someone that's new to whole approach of it because it can be very intimidating and having that type of mentorship but but like you mentioned the brotherhood it really adds in that extra flavor cementing in that uh, camaraderie and such I'm I'm assuming you still talk to your friends up there in Pennsylvania still yeah yeah when we go home on leave such a, they're such good people and they're 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 just like good old boys and it, and, it, and they were like on my father's age. Because it, again, I was working at a pipe foundry after after high school type thing, and these guys, one of them was my supervisor, and the other one was his brother, and okay. then a bunch of other guys would come up. So, yeah, it was just like older older guys got me into this, and and just watching them do it right, and then taking care of the land and taking care of because it's state game land, but you know, like we didn't, you know, you don't burn trash on the ground, like things that you think are just common sense these mm-hmm. dudes made made sure i knew about it and one of the funniest things like if if you one of my best uh memories or funniest memories was uh so this guy that tells me you know go up all right where'd you where did you leave off at when the, everything just decided to crash i'm sorry uh so so i'm in, i'm in, in a tree not in a tree but against the tree up in front of uh, this guy and uh he says you know don't move these turkeys can see you so like they'll 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 see you and you'll blow this whole jig and and we're hearing birds all morning so i'm like oh it's on you know uh so i'm sitting there and it's like an hour or two and you know i don't know any better i just know don't move and i start hearing snoring so like i a quick like turn around look and this dude's laid out behind the tree snoring i heard him call for like you know two three minutes i figured oh you know i guess he's sleeping so i threw a rock at him he wakes back up and then like an hour later you know i'm still trying to be the good diligent little hunter 
not knowing anything, just staying very still, not moving. And I smell a ham sandwich. I smell like a, a sandwich getting out. I look back again and uh, it, I don't, I don't know why it's funny to me, but it was just like, I was taking it so serious. And, and, and this guy was behind me eating sandwiches and, and sleeping. And now I look at it, you know, and I'm sitting in a tree stand and I do the same thing that every other hunter does where we pack all these snacks in our little pouch. And by like nine o'clock, we have no snacks and we are supposed to do like an all day hunt, you know? So I just think it's fun. That is true. I've been pretty good at not packing snacks. You know, I just, I, I kind of, I like to hunt hungry because now your, your, your alerts, your senses are a little bit heightened because now you're, you're focused on like, if I shoot something, I'm going to be able to eat here after I get this done. And if you get until darkness and you haven't, and you, you didn't be able to collapse, uh, connect on anything, you know, you, it, it's, it's, it keeps that drive going. So then, yeah. How long did you move before you moved, got into enlisted in the military? Uh, so I was 17. Uh, so this is a time frame like I was doing, because um, I was still in high school, working at the pipe foundry at night, hunting with those dudes, 17 years old. My parents sent me or signed off on it. I was like, you know, this is 2005. So uh, George W., they were already talking about the the next push into Iraq and I didn't have anything better to do. I was like, well, I don't want to work in a pipe foundry for the rest of my life. So let's, let's go try it out. Um, yeah. Signed up for the army, went to the training and then came back. And then every time I'd come home, I'd just put in some, put in some time in the, in this, in the stand. But yeah, like my, my early twenties were pretty much Iraq and around the world and hanging out, doing that kind of stuff. Being a, yeah doing that well we appreciate your service and stuff like that i myself i don't i never was in the service i have bad knees but i work with um, veteran organizations and such to get them in touch with folks and such and to help them get past whatever they went through and but also put them in touch the company i work for right now is is uh you've probably heard of them lhi so with the with mm-hmm. the health awareness program, so you're familiar with the the, the yeah. whole process. So I work on the back end of all that nowadays. So I make sure all of the requests go through and such for your for readiness and such. So it's it's a, it's a, a been a a pleasure working for the company, being able to make sure that anything we do will have a direct effect with the the soldiers to get out, get ready to get shipped over. Now, is there any forecast of you guys joining Kazakhstan's situation over there against Russia? No, not for me. I'm 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 on the retirement end of my my time here. So hopefully, in a year or so, I'll be sitting on a farm somewhere in Pennsylvania, enjoying the rest of my life. There you go, enjoying Sweet. what I should have done in the twenties. <laughs> well, at least now you you got some more experience under you your belt. So will you be? You. Um, so you're are you going to be retiring like with the next twenty uh, twelve to twenty four months? Then, yeah. Yep, I'm gonna be. Uh, I'm getting actually mil- uh, medically retired out, so it's time time to take a knee, I guess, and go home. That's what they tell me anyway. So I got gotcha. you. That very perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, but I I don't know. We don't really know too much about that. Obviously, those those things uh, like the Russia thing that that's always happening, and uh, you know, not to go down this weird rabbit hole, but. What we see in America and what the public sees is, you know, what people want to be seen now. So that's mm-hmm. been happening for so long. Uh, it's just a, a new 
you know, a new focus, what they're, what they're, what they're looking at. I mean, Russia has been, the Ukrainians have been fighting Russia and like putting that foot down and, you know, for three presidencies now and even further back. Right. But Mm -hmm. now it's like, what kind of, what kind of battle do we want to win? So it to the people who are listening, I, I wouldn't stress over it. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not no general or anything. I'm not the political maker, but, uh, I mean, it's been happening. We've had people there, you know, show of force. We've been to Europe showing force. Like it's it's gonna take some big a big step by one of the countries to make something really pop off. Yeah. I think what we, the best we could do for them is just show them that we we have the support. We don't uh we don't like what's happening over there. And I think that's pretty much where you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see a lot more delegation, but it but you know, we need to get the the pub, Mr. Joe public on our mm-hmm. side. So we show the, show the worst of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you are correct. I mean, George Soros decides what they all want to do. I mean, I learned really interesting about something about his, 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 uh, his upbringing because he got recruited by the SS when he was 11. Now what they would do is they use them as uh, Judas children. And what they do is they would, they would brainwash them into getting into these, into, into going out door to door in Auschwitz or mm-hmm. through all these areas and knocking on the door and finding out where the Jews are and then pretty much writing them all out. Well, to pay him back between 11 and 16, we, he got pretty much around all the movers and shakers and all the big things. And then as a repayment for him, he massed all this amounts of funding and all this amounts of money and such. Now it's like he's where he's at today because of yeah. that uh, influence stuff. And it's very, very dark. I mean, how yeah. he's been able to curtail um, crimes against humanity is freaking ri- ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, like super proud of everything I've done and the men around me. And it's just, it's just sad. The more, you know, the more we, the more technology and the more things that open up and these podcasts that are out and the more opinions and the more, you know, on, on site things. And I know this is a hunting thing, but just, just that I think what, what's missing out of it is all this is building. People are building chaos on things that don't need to be built on. Um, it, all these wars have been going on for, you know, so many generations. And it, mm-hmm. it's just so easy for me to go over to Europe and go and click a few times on my phone and being like, Hey, this is, this is what's going on over here. I can't believe we never heard of it, but it's, it's always been happening. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do, I do, like you said, with Soros, I, I think there's, there is some bigger, there's bigger fish in the sea that we don't, obviously see and we don't see what's actually happening and i I think it's all coming to a head and you know we'll talk about faith later on but like my faith so strong and in my god and in christianity that i just i mean at some point this this all has to end for every one of us so Mm -hmm. i would just rather be on the other side of that fence and and be on the on the good side of it that is 100 central correct on that and then to uh move into another evasive situation here is hogs. Uh, you were, you yeah. were before we before we hit record, we were talking about hogs and what's going on down yeah. there. And uh why don't you give us some insight about that? Because I actually really haven't talked to anybody that deals with hogs and it is an issue because even on the military base, I'm sure you guys run into issues of them running up the area, running into you know, like having Humvees oh, yeah. and people and so, and then having running into them on your with your own vehicles too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So again, I'm in the beautiful state of Georgia where these, where these piggies are, um, you know, just for your listeners up North, who don't really have a good background. 
Uh, I have, I'm getting my bachelor's right now in uh, wildlife management and my big paper from my, my big claim to fame right now in college is uh, I did a paper on how the pigs got here. Why are they here? And, you know, the difference between these, these multi-species of pigs. So basically back in the day, Spaniards came to Florida. They thought they were somewhere else. They thought they were on an island. They released all these pigs, but it's not like they just dumped pigs off the boat and said, hey, they were moving. They were migrating this south panhandle um, with these pigs. And every once in a while, they lose one or two pigs. Well, what people don't understand and, and why these pigs are so, so, so reckless is because every four to six months, they can have a new sounder of pigs. And you're mm-hmm. looking at eight to 10 piglets. So, you know, it doesn't take much for them. They look at each other and they get pregnant type thing. Um, so that's how we got pigs down here. And that's why they're like in little concentrated pockets is because, you know, kind of where these encampments were laid, these pigs stayed at. Um, you get them in North Carolina because the Hatfield, I believe, it's either Hatfield or Smithfield, one of the two, meat plant was off the Cape Fear River. And that actually flooded out. And, the, and regular pigs got out and became feral. So what we're dealing with is not like your wild boar, like Timon and Pumbaa, but like they're just regular pigs that, you know, they they come out of their parents, just like you would see, they come out of the mom as a piglet, just like you would see a piglet in a farm. But because of the, uh, the nature of where they live and the habitat they live, they start getting, they, they get long fur, they get big tusks. But if you take, I know guys that trap and they take them and they put them in pens and you take them and put them in pens, they will go back to being normal pigs, believe it or not. Like they're going to keep a long fur, but their tusks will start wearing down. And uh, yeah, like you said, oh, bacon, but it, there's not there's not enough fat on these things because they're always moving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so down here they have, uh, so you could you could basically hunt them all year round. Uh, you could hunt them with thermals, which is cool. Like a buddy of mine and, uh, owns a thermal hunting company, a hog hunting company. And we go out in the peanut fields and we take uh, clients out and we have um, 300 blackouts that we run with, uh, I think you're called a spot hog. No, that's a, that's an archery thing. Yeah. Something hog, something hog thermal okay. uh, set up. And it, it basically records for the client and everything. It's, it's a really cool setup. And there's just so many of them that you, you'll look out into a peanut or a cotton field and you just see little white dots. And at that point, uh, you know, it's just like you see on TV where they're like just mowing down pigs. You can mow that whole lot down. And, you know, a week later, there's another 50 sitting in that field. It's just it's almost impossible to just wave the magic wand and eradicate them. Um, so we we have that, and that's cool. That's something I was doing. And then on on Mil- on Fort Benning, for anybody who's never been, it's loaded uh, with pigs because it's all high fence. So there's just they don't get out much, and uh, where they like to live, obviously in this hot weather, they'll go into a swamp and they'll burrow into these these really cool swamp creek areas where guys aren't going to go to push pigs out. So they kind of they're kind of sheltered. Um, yeah, but. We, uh, I got onto the wildlife management team here and basically we set up traps, we set corn. It takes a few days. Uh, just a quick breakdown would be like 
you put a gate up and then you put another gate and you put another gate and you got to build it so they don't get they don't get uh, crate shy or t- uh, cage shy. Mm-hmm. And then we set post hole digger. We'll take a post hole digger and put the corn in. And then you take uh, go to the dollar store and we buy uh, Kool-Aid like in the jug and you just run it out like 50 to 100 yards out. You just pour it out on the ground. They smell that and they, it draws them to there. And then you you work the outside of your pen for a little bit. And then once you start getting them on camera nightly, you start adding corn into those post hole diggers and it's got a cool little trigger setup. But being a Northern guy coming down here and thinking, man, these pigs are so cool. What I was missing was the, the, the agriculture detriment that these, these pigs do. Cause it's, it's insane. Like when I take my, my Northern buddies come down and see it, they're just like, what is this? Cause you look and it, it literally looks like the earth is splitting cause they'll root, they'll root up and they'll just pull up big patches of sod in their way. And it's just kind of like little waves of sod and, or leaves or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, these are pigs. So they have an agriculture problem. And then what we were talking about before the podcast is what people don't, we, we have a very small Turkey population on base because these pigs will, as soon as they, these turkeys nest, because they'll nest at like the bottom of a tree or in bushes or whatever, as soon as these turkeys nest, they are eating the eggs. Like they could smell it. Now, the other, so they're eating turkeys. That's a problem. Uh, anybody that knows anything about deer fawn, deer fawn will drop. And if there's a hazard, mom and the rest of the little herd will push out and the fawn will stay put. And there, it's like a drawing a drawing thing for the doe is trying to draw the the predator or something. So uh, North Carolina has those long pines. I was I was at Fort Bragg with the 82nd, and they have the long pines, and the long pine needles have to be burned. So we would find dead fawn that would stop, and the mom would leave, and they would curl up into a ball against the tree. You know, predator was the fire. Well, here, I mean, the pigs are the predator. So pigs, pigs and deer like do not get along. So if you get on our trail cam, like I have two sounders on my trail cam two weeks ago, I had a stud of a 10 point on there, but now I got these two sounders, which a sounder is the, just like a herd of pigs. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Now, sorry. How, how big is a, a sounder while we're, while we're on that uh, particular keyword? So I got like, I got like nine pigs. So normally a sounder will be the female and her piglets. Okay. Uh, it's very rare that you're going to have, I mean, I shouldn't say very rare. I'm not, too far into this uh but it's normally not multiple mamas with multiple piglets like okay if they have if they have a mama and some piglets it's normally she's very protective normally protective of those piglets so she doesn't have many but they'll travel in packs or groups or sounders of you know 20 30 depending wow. on how it works out yeah I, i'm telling you I, I wish i had some video of the thermal i would send it so you could show your audience but I mean, there's times where we go out and the whole field is just white with, with uh, thermal and you could just literally put the gun on and just start smacking away. Like, and, and it does nothing to them. And then what's even crazier about these things is they are tough. They are so tough. Um, if you're bow hunting them, uh, it's, it's actually awesome because down here, I don't have to pay for a 3d target range. I just go out with my license That's and so I true. shoot. I shoot any pig I want. So, um, but the thing with the shooting a pig is there's a, if you think about a deer in the front shoulder blade, when it opens up, it opens up that little cavity right here. 
you have like a four inch triangle that you have to shoot your broadhead in because otherwise you shoot anywhere else. Good luck getting that broadhead through. I don't care what, what the weight of an arrow is. It's, it's super hard. Um, but like, yeah, it opens up and you can kind of see this like indentation of a triangle and that's kind of what you're aiming for. Um, that's with a bow. And then with gun, I've, I've taken down plenty with a 22. So you shoot them right behind the ear. There's a little soft, soft patch in their skull portion and you just shoot them right there or right between the eyes and it'll, it'll take them right down. So it's weird because sometimes you shoot them with 30, 30 and they don't do anything. They just keep running. And then other times you hit them with 22 in the back of the ear and it took, takes them down. So they're just little, they're super tough. They're really tough. To, they're tough to like kill and put down. But uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely to my initial point. They're definitely a problem. It's not, I know a lot of people see the ag problem as like, we're losing so many crops but like, think about it even further as you as a sportsman or you as an outdoorsman trying to be another, a good hunter, like you're losing through this, through this thing that was never around, you're losing, you know, fawns, you're losing ducks, you're losing, um, you know, turkeys. Uh, and one of the other big thing is, and they're, they're looking at it right now. I was just talking to the guy from the USDA who, uh, who works on base and they were talking about doing a research on the the rattle of a rattlesnake. So a pig will eat a rattlesnake. They do not. They don't care. Wow. Okay. So these, Did not these know that. rattle. Yeah. So these rattlesnakes stopped rattling because it gives their position away. So I've walked up on. I mean, I've walked up on, and I'm not a snake guy. I hate snakes. I've walked up on some big rattlers that don't do anything. They just look at you and they like back their head up, they rear their head and, but they should be rattling and they're not rattling. So that's like been a concern on post is like these pigs are, are these pigs the reason that these, these uh, snakes aren't rattling anymore. So it's just been a, you know, back and forth. And I'm sure some of your, um, some of your audience that lives down here has the same, the same, uh, has witnessed the same stuff or has some of the other things it's not just local to fort benning like it's all around the south for sure these these pigs and these problems that we're having with the pigs so that's why a lot of people are again the ag thing it, it's sad but like the farmer will get paid back by the insurance company the the deer though the deer that we're losing and the turkey that we're losing and all this other wildlife that we're losing because of these pigs is just it, it's it's a mess and if you shoot a deer at night on at Fort Benning, not at night, but like right before dusk, daylight yeah. or dusk, and you and you don't get it, you 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 have you don't have much time to get that. So like like in the north, we have coyote problems where they'll start eating it from the butt back or butt front. Mm-hmm. Like you'll have that with pigs. So my buddy actually smoked a nice twelve last year. We couldn't find it. it was laying in a swamp, and we got to it, and only the rib cage on up was good. And it wow. was pigs. He went. He went down there. We had to shoot a bunch of pigs around it. It was a mess. But a bunch of pigs just got after it. Yeah, because I was wondering how they how a pig would approach a carcass like that. But apparently, it's like it's all omnivores or carnivores. They start from the rear end and work their way mm-hmm. up. Because I've I've yeah. had predation from the buck you see behind me. I came across him. Yeah. I didn't have any coyotes eating on him, but uh, yeah, they went right for the genitalia and ate everything up. But that's it. But I was able to salvage 
probably like 95% of the animal. But man, that is really ridiculous. But then again, the sounder though, like with 20 to 30 pigs, yeah, I'm, just, I'm surprised you still had something left. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, and when I say sounder and I don't want to get everybody, everybody starts looking it up. The sounder really is the, the pig in a litter. We just all call them like this. That's a sounder of pigs because the boar, the boar is a total different. Like when I say, when I say to my buddies, Hey, I saw a sounder today. They know I'm talking about a female pig and her piglets, maybe multiple female pigs, but they're not thinking boar. Mm-hmm. So just so everybody understands that makes sense. I, I can, I follow your logic on that's a good explanation behind that. So what is the, what is, so with on the military base, so the, do you guys just do the two methods of hunting and, and trapping them to try to control? Yeah. So uh, the USDA guys, um, which is a pretty cool program. If, if you're into like, uh, again, I'm trying to do my bachelor's in wildlife management. So I talk to them pretty often because they're a great, they're a great resource. You, you think when I thought USDA, I thought like, uh, you know, just farm agriculture stuff, but these dudes do a lot more um, predator stuff for the farm and agriculture. So they have sniper teams on base that run around with uh, silence 22s. And if there's like an issue with pigs in like the housing area, these guys go out at night with thermals on or nods on or whatever, whatever they're using. And they go out and they just take care of those, you know, the pigs and the coyotes in, in those areas. So, um, yeah, so th- those guys do that. And then the, the trapping thing's big and then the, you know, just shooting them just regular, like, uh, guys that are out hunting. If we see one, we normally just kill them. Even if we're hunting for deer, we'll take them out. That's what uh, Wisconsin did last year. I think it was 2020 or 2019 because like 20, I swear 2020 was just a blur. But uh, the Dean Army <laughs> made an announcement. If you do, you happen to see a pig, you pretty much shoot it on site type scenario here yeah. in Wisconsin. I haven't really, it's been really, 2020 was, or 2021 was very quiet. I didn't hear anything from all the, the message boards I'm in, the groups I'm in. I didn't really hear anything about it. Uh, the reason why we don't have a big issue right up in these parts is that we don't have an open season for them. And on top of the mm-hmm. two, uh, like Missouri does a fantastic job of managing their pigs because they don't have a hunting season on them. They just, they just contract people that go out and yep. just trap them. That's it. That's all they do because their goal is to eradicate 100%. You have a mm-hmm. hunting season on them. They're going to go all the way up to 80%. And then it's this way we still have something to hunt for the next year. But that's right. what what's done a really good job of keeping them from going up into Iowa. We hear more about armadillos in Iowa than we do hear about pigs. Oh, yeah. That's that's another animal I, I've never seen until I got to Georgia with these armadillos. <laughs> They're pretty cool. But uh, it is funny that you say uh, the trapping portion instead of killing. And I always thought it was kind of weird. Um, you know, I'm not about eradicating them because I, I still like hunting them. I still like shooting them. I still like cooking them. I still like doing all that stuff. Um, so I don't want to see them eradicated in what certain ways. But like the guys that say like the whole Steve Ranella, like if you could wave a magic wand and get rid of one animal, what would it be? And the guys say pigs, you know, uh, their, their method of, to, to attack this is get everybody that's hunting them out of hunting them. And the only way you could take them is if you build these pens and kill them in the pens, because a, a good, a good dude with a semi-automatic rifle with like a red dot scope, say I'd take my AR out and shoot them. And I have like a 20 round mag in, um, I might get five out of a pretty decent sounder because they're fast. I mean, they don't run very far. 
but they're still fast. And as soon as that, that round goes off, they're, they're out, they're out the door. Um, just like any other animal. But if I set a good trap and I set everything up correctly and, and my, my triggers are working right. And, you know, again, if everything's done correctly, I could put 15 pigs into my little 15 foot long or 15 foot diameter. Um, uh, was it a, not a, a corral in the corral? I could hit a button on my phone and it drops the, it drops the gate. And now I got 15 and 15 are going to die instead of the five that I would have shot. So yeah, it is, it, it, it is a fight here um, for the wildlife management to get the guys to go on to trapping, but trapping is, it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time, especially if you have a, an analog setup where you don't have the phone and you don't have a trigger set up on your phone, then you have to go out and hang the stick and hang the trigger. And you have to, every day you're baiting every day you're, you're, you're checking your traps. I mean, it's a lot. And especially with the fuel prices right now, some of us had traps. I mean, I'd have to drive 30 minutes across post to check a trap. And it got to a point where I was like, I told the guy, Hey, hey I can't, unless you guys give me like a gas card, like this isn't worth my time. I don't even like keeping these things. So, uh, yeah. So I think, uh, trapping is kind of chaotic and in, in, in the fact that like, it takes a lot from the, the trapper has to be dedicated or be getting paid for it down here for it to really work. Now I know in, uh, Texas, I think it was the 2020 season or the 2019 season on Steve Ranella. They had a guy, he, what we worked with a guy that mm-hmm. was uh, trapping and such. And they, they give a, a price per pound, depending on yeah. like the, 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 how big it is, what sex it is. And it can go anywhere between 35 cents all up to 50 cents a pound. But even still, mm-hmm. then that's a small niche. And it's like, that still takes a lot of a large investment to get that. Cause these, these, corrals that they have to to make are absolutely massive and they're heavy yeah and to build yeah. a contraption to be able to lift it all up there and sit them into play yeah you're it's just yeah it's very very expensive so at one point and and don't quote me on the prices but i think it was like 25 dollars a tail or five dollars a tail that georgia dnr was giving for each tail of the hog so at that point i guess it would make sense but you like just to set up a trap again, fuel and everything else. But then I'm going out and I'm getting a, you know, a trash can full of corn from a farmer. So there's another what, 45, $50. And again, if you like eating the meat, I'm not a big fan of it. If you like eating the meat, then yeah, you're uh, for $50, you're getting two, 300 pounds of meat. Um, But the guys that Renella, so the USDA guys, right. The guys that Ranella was dealing with down in Texas, they have like permits and stuff that they have to go to a, a you know, a, a, a certain butcher shop. The eyes have to be checked. The meat has to be checked for freshness. And they're actually live, live trapping. So they, like you saw, they transfer the, the pig from the trap to a trailer. And then it's, it's, you know, taken out, you know, I'm assuming closer to when they could deliver it to the butcher shop because it has to be a certain freshness. And that's just something that we, you know, on base couldn't couldn't do. You have to have the essentially infrastructure beyond that. This is a, a program that yeah. takes years to cultivate and to, mm-hmm. to get there. And on top of the two, it's like Texas is absolutely massive. So it's like I, I, I myself am not familiar where these herds would be at or where they would have these mm-hmm. setups at. So it's you for Georgia, it's like and it's not a it's not a flat country. So it's like you really have to really begin the process now to be able to set up that infrastructure. And you have to find butchers 
throughout the area. The unique thing yeah. is too, it's like if you're poor, you're gonna eat anything you want. But you are right though. I've heard that um I have a friend of mine down in Florida that they would catch hogs, but if it was a male, they'd castrate them and send them back out. And then a few yep. months later, then shoot them because that the testosterone yep. sours the meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the testosterone and it's, it's a swamp. It's it's what they live in. It's what they eat. I mean, they're they're eating dead carcasses. You know, they're eating they're eating their other they're eating piglets. I've seen I've walked up on that. I mean, I've I've seen some crazy stuff coming going into the mouth of a pig. Um, so. The, the meat, uh, for anybody who has never tried it, it's the smell of like pork sauerkraut, pork and sauerkraut in a crock pot. That's that's basically every time I cook it, it's it's like that smell. And there's I guarantee you there's going to be some dudes hitting you up in your DM saying, oh, it doesn't taste that bad. I mean, yeah, it, 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 it to me, it does. I, I'm not a fan of it. It kind of tastes like ammonia. It smells like ammonia. And I, it's hard to get past the nose. Um, yes, I have used the buttermilk trick. I have... I've, I've, I've tried everything because I mean, like I said, it's all year round. You can kill these things. And I rather, I'd rather be able to harvest what I'm going to eat and put on the, fa- put on the table of my, uh, my family's table, than go to the store and pick it up. Now, where I do think the, you know, the USDA and these DNRs are failing is there's so many homeless people and there's so many people who can't afford meat and they can't afford food that, you know, these pigs, if, if I knew I was doing it for a charity and I was going to drop it off at a pig or at a, at a butcher and it was going to go to charity, I would do it all day long. But for me to just go out there and shoot them and just let them lay, because that's basically what we do anyway with them. Um, yeah, like it's to me, it's not worth it. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, But then, yeah, like you said, it's like processing that meat and dealing with that ammonia smell. See, I myself have been around pig slaughtered, but they're from off a farm. And so yeah. watch the whole process. So now being, being out in the wild, I don't have that. So it's like, it's, it's something that I, it's on my bucket list to go do. Now, after hearing your story about, I don't know how motivated I want to try to get after it when it comes down to like going to Texas or Georgia or going yeah. wherever they are. So it's like, man, it almost seems like, what do you really do? It's like, all I'm doing is just sending ammo down range and spending two, 300 bucks for it. It's like, mm-hmm. well, where can I go? That's pro- it's public land to go after because Texas and Iowa are 50 and 49 when it comes down to the least amount of public access you can use. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, well, where can I go? It's where it's like, I'm going to send ammo down range. I want to be able to do it for free and have, mm-hmm. and just put my expenses someplace else. Yeah. So, uh, Georgia, you could get a, what's cool about that is if somebody would like to come to Georgia, you could basically get a small game license, come on down and you could shoot them because there's no, there's no bag limit. There's nothing on them. They're just a, they're a, uh, you know, they're just a trash animal basically. Um, so as long as you hold a Georgia license, whether it be a visitor license or a state license or your a resident license, you can go hunt them. So I know people that just like that really like pig meat. So they go out and they get their small game license, which is pretty cheap, especially if you're, you know, from out of state. Um, you come down here and you shoot as many pigs as you want, and they're pretty much everywhere. Uh, the further south you go, as long as you're pretty, you're close to uh, some water, you're going to find some pigs. And then they're they're easy to find because when it gets hot out, you go to the swamp, and when it gets wet out, you go away from the swamp. Which makes perfect sense. We are 
there's states up here when it comes to the coyotes are kind of like that too. It's like you go to Minnesota, they they you you as soon as you cross that border, you can start shooting them as soon as you get across there. Over mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, you have to have a fur bearers license or a small game license to be after coyotes. But it's like it's unique yeah. about Minnesota. Like they're the only ones like, hey, it doesn't matter. Just come shoot them. Just shoot them as many as, many as you can. Yeah. I think I think that's yeah. what kind of keeps them that do that. It keeps that uh our population and I'm not quite sure what the whole thing is because it's like not every area does, but uh as a story, as a firsthand story, that there was a guy you where I used to live at in Minnesota over by Rochester, Minnesota. There was a kid out there, I think he was 16, 17 years old. Last last season he shot like a hundred and eighty coyotes. Yeah. Nobody nobody yeah. had that the generated like my generation of people that'll be hunting them that are now mm-hmm. in family mode where they have one to yeah, three kids yeah. and a wife yeah. and a job and health insurance. So yeah. it's like in a mortgage. So it's like that time eventually evaporates. So it's like having that younger generation to be able to have that flexibility to get after. It's like, go for it, man. Yeah. It's, it, and that's like back to my Turkey story. Like that's such an easy thing for you to like, if you were to mentor somebody and you're kind of worried that they're not going to like it, go out and buy them a seven, you know, bring out a 17 or a 22 and get them in a field. You could, pretty much talk as long as you're downwind from everything set up your call you know call every once in a while it's a it's a great way to get like varmint um uh, you know your squirrel your predator stuff like get people like i do it with my seven-year-old daughter you know like i'm not going to take her out into the spot where this big guy is i'm going to take her out to you know a spot where we're probably going to see some squirrels maybe we'll see a pig or two you know just think about like what you think is cool as a hunter, you got to get somebody to that point of they don't want to sit all day. They want to sit for a little bit. They want to see some action. So give it to them. Like predator is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, I took my nine year old, nine year old to uh, shields. They're right before black Friday deal. So it's like, Oh, it's like maybe, maybe introducing her to, to crossbow because we, I got her a bow young yeah. and, it, and it really didn't really stick. So it's like, I'm not going to force her. Yeah. On it. She does like to shoot. Yeah. She likes wildlife. She likes hunting, but she doesn't like to hunt. And so it's like, mm-hmm. well, well maybe getting a crossbow could open that up because now I can, I get her out in an earlier season, like in September here in Wisconsin. And we are, they, they're, they're, age limit on hunting is like as soon as like they could be zero years old no yeah, nobody gets, what are you saying about that yeah nobody nobody gets a tag that young for the kids because it's kind of like shady because it's like you get your <laughs> newborn uh, a buck tag it's like well you yep. they know it's like that's just a red flag right there so yeah. it, it's one of those things where it's like well that'd be a perfect opportunity get a, i have a ground blind set her up in that and we can set off and get her practicing at that 40 to 60 yard mark right there. And I can set her up on spots where I can, I know where I'll have deer come walk within, within that yeah. 30 to 60 yard range. And it'd be perfect. But yeah, she, she admitted him to me right then. And it's like, dad, I just don't have the patience. I was like, well, I can appreciate your honesty. Yeah. And I guess you, you probably listen to Ronella pretty often. And I remember him saying, somebody wrote in and said, and I just had my daughter and they said, what do you do if you want to get your daughter or your kid in? They were talking about how, you know, you treat, treat the, the kid and how you do it um so my daughter has been going out to the woods with me since she was four and every time i have the same plan like i know it's going to last about 20 minutes but now we're at 30 minutes you know she's seven years old she'll sit for like 30 minutes and she's a she's a a pretty girl like she's like her mama so she wants you know they, they she wants to do barbies and not hang out with dad but she knows like I make it fun. So we go, we get slushies and then we go out to the woods. And I, I think that's important also for, you know, these new dads, like, how am I going to get a daughter 
involved with hunting. Mm-hmm. And and every time it's just something fun. I like we build little forts. I let her play by the creek, you know. And and then when you know we get a few dry spells, and then we go out into a spot where I know I'm going to find a pig, and we shoot a pig, and then mm-hmm. she thinks that's cool, you know what I mean? So just give them the opportunity to see animals, and then it's also important that not every time that we go out, she knows not every time we go out is going to be is going to produce. Because then it gives her this false thing of like, every time we go out, I'm going to kill something. So, but I, I try to make it as fun as possible. Lots of yeses. And then when she's like done, she lets me know, hey, dad, we got to go. I want to go back to the house and watch whatever, watch the, <laughs> watch Netflix or something. Like, okay, let's go. And then, but it's, it's nice. It's something, it's memories that you're going to make. And, you know, for your listeners out there, don't worry about her being a girl and not wanting to do it. Like just just get them out there and don't force them to stay out. I think that's like the biggest thing I've I heard Ronella talk about was like forcing them to stay out is going to mess it up. Yeah. That's, that is a key aspect that I completely agree. And when you, when people think like when they ask like, when should I get them inter- introduced, just close your mind to technology. And it's like when, when we were in the 19, well, before world war one, ever, it didn't matter what age you, if you, if you were a single yeah. parent, if you're a parent, those kids came with you no matter what age yeah. where they were, you know, it's like yep. so it was all because of it. And now, so it's like, when you think about it, just close your eyes to it. And it's like, Oh, I'll just take them out right now. Like she was around mm-hmm. a, her first carcass at three years old. I mean, that's oh, when yeah. I shot him. <laughs> so it's like getting him around it. It's like, but I was like, it was already gutted and stuff like that. And I hadn't removed the hide yet, but it's like, we're just showing yeah. her. And then getting them as soon as she had teeth, it's like we were get, we were feeding a rabbit, we were feeding pheasant, feeding whitetail. So this yeah. way, then she wouldn't she would already have this <clears> memory. And like, and I'm a good cook, so it's like it already helps out yeah. to be able to add that extra value to it. And so it's like it's fun because like for Christmas with my sister, we don't do ham, we don't do turkey, we do venison. And so we did yeah. um, like a hot meat hot beef sandwich, but we switched the beef out with venison, and she just demolished oh. it. It's yeah. it's perfectly easy. Throw it in the crock pot. We did whatever we wanted. We made what do we do? We made uh, cookies. We made gingerbread houses. We had all kinds of fun stuff while I was cooking the background. Yeah. And it's like, if you do it right, you can, we can virtually almost pull the gaminess out of it. Right. And, and that's the other thing. Like, uh, so we, my wife and I, since we moved from, or been in North Carolina, it was, we, we are as many gear as I could put in my freezer is what I'm trying to do. I don't care. Like I would need to get my own out of the way. But once people, once friends start saying, Oh dude, I already, I shot so many, you got an extra tag and I'll throw them a tag. Give me half the deer. You know, like I don't have that pride thing where, Oh, well, it's not my deer. I'm not going to eat it. No, you, you bring it over and, and we're going to eat it. Cause again, I, you know, if it's from the land or from the river, we, we want it in our, in our freezer. I know where it's coming from. I know who killed it. I know how it was processed. And I'm not like a weird, like, you shouldn't go to the grocery store, but like, if you can do it and you, you spend all this money, like, you know, a, a, my Halon was, I don't know, $2,200 when I first bought it. Yeah. My, you know, that your average tag right now is 75 to a hundred dollars. Like that's so much money and time and invested and in being away from your family for so long. Why wouldn't you want to, you know, harvest as much as you can and show your family like, Hey, I, I've been gone this year, you know, for this little bit of time because it's deer season. Like once deer season hits, my wife already knows it's like, oh, she will see me. But like deer season hits, and she, but she knows that you know we're gonna have venison at least twice, three times a week. You know, it does. It's just I think it, and 
getting that into your family early and getting that into your kids early is, is super important. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, I, uh, my wife, she hunts, so, which is even better. It's like, nice. So when it came down to like getting her all set up, cause like before she met me, her previous boyfriend pawned her, uh, her bow. So it's like, all right, we're gonna go, we're gonna go pick out your first brand new bow. And then, then, mm. and for Christmas, for Christmas slash her birthday, whatever you want, or however she chalked it up. I just got a new, t- I got a new strings and she's a bears fan. So I got her matching spring. We got her bear strings for her bow. So it's this way it just kind of nice. keeps that, t- that interest going and it's all customized to her. So she absolutely loves it. Right. This bow back here is mine, but uh, you know, we got, I got a nice um, liquid case and holds both of our bows. We go to the HHA shoots and it's just nice. And I, 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 I keep on dropping hints to my daughter. It's like, it's like, if you hunt, the ring gets a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And dude, it's just such a it's such a blessing that these two guys that I would have never ran into, like met up and were like, hey, that dude looks like he probably would like to hunt. And it brought me into this into this world. And now, you know, what my dad and dad's a great dude. I mean, it's not, it's not like that. But what my dad didn't do for me in, in the outdoor sense of the deal. I can do for my daughter. So I, I could, I could start her off young and then whether it pans out, pans out, if not, then maybe it's something fun that she gets to do with dad. Every year we go out and do like a pheasant hunt or, you know, a deer hunt. But like mm-hmm. this, this is hunting to me is so much more. And I think probably for most of your listeners, hunting to me is so much more than just, I'm going to go kill a deer. Like it, there, there's so much that goes into it that, uh, that you could like really build your family around too. Mm-hmm. It's, it comes down to the spiritual aspect of it. Cause a lot of people tie their faith to the outdoors and, and there's mm-hmm. scripture, but based off of it, I'm not going to quote any scripture on it because I don't know any off the top of my head, but it is, it is something we all tie into. It's our way of communicating with God because for us is like for a lot of us hunters out there, a lot of times we spend our Saturday, our Sunday mornings out in the field because mm-hmm. it's like we work so much we have to we have to have that give and take yeah. and it's our way of, of of spending time with the, the lord and uh, i know i've spent my time out there listening to him and listening to sermons and such like my church does some um, live streams and i'm able to stream well depending on where i'm hunting i'll be able to stream the servant sermons to just sit there and have an earbud in i have, I have a my right ear is bad so it's like i put my earbud in that one and i have my fine tuning yeah. in my left ear so that's why i can still pay that pay that attention but it's like you, you it's it's our way of having that connection but our mental health aspect to it too because a lot of men mm-hmm. it's like we we're, we're we're raised not to communicate our feelings but it's like it's amazing that when you when you bring god into your life and you make your 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 life around him you serve him it's like the blessings are abundant and it's it is strange because it's like when you when you first begin your journey it's like you you don't quite understand everything but as the as the doors open up and as every dawn comes, it's a blessing in disguise. Cause it's like, even if you don't harvest anything that morning, being out there and listening to the surrounding and like, this is, this is God's symphony. This is God's um, portrait and, and landscape. You know, it's like, this is what his painting yeah. for you to appreciate. <clears throat> no, for sure. And uh, you know, we, we are all blessed regardless of hunter, not a hunter. Like everybody should feel blessed. All your listeners, um, but it, it does, it does what, you know, what faith does for me and the blessings that it's brought me and how I could tie it into the outdoors is, you know, it takes you away from everything else. Like some of us, yeah, I mean, we get on Instagram and scroll through. I mean, we've had conversations. I'm sitting in my saddle <laughs> doing something, right? But, 
but once you take that all away and like you said the mental i think you know the big the big thing is mental health right so what what's what's uh to me what's like christianity and and being religious it's like understanding the bible trusting god that he will provide for me and my family and then giving him the gratitude so those three things are super simple like mm-hmm. i just have to trust in him i have to accept him and you know do the gospel and all that stuff but simple right that's what we're looking for it's simple like it's not a simple the bible isn't simple i'm not saying that i'm obviously not trying to be blasphemous or anything but that's all simple and once once you can get your life into a more simpler like take that gear down and then you get all that craziness away from you like all these you know uh you know your bills your your work your you know family arguments the you know all those things that just cloud your mind through the day and you get in that tree and you're like well i'm here now and now I could focus my my attention on me and, and God. And I mean, there's there's so many guys on on YouTube, successful hunters who are very religious dudes. Like uh, Seek One is like one of my favorite shows. I mean, they're from Atlanta. They they do urban hunting, and um, you know, super like devote every episode they have to to God and what God has done for them. It just goes to show, like, am I going to go kill a stud because I believe in God? No, I have to put the work in. But he makes he makes it more like when I do get that stud or I do get to see a deer or I do get to spend my time with my family out in the woods or doing these outdoors thing. I think I think it just it just means more to me now that I walk with with Christ for sure. That's true. I want to hear more about hunting on a military base because. Okay. As we discussed earlier, I'm I'm just miles away from Fort McCoy. I've never hunted it myself, and I mm-hmm. do, and and I've heard stories that most people that do hunt it is just civilians because the they're either their schedule is too busy for them out there, or they're just the the this, the men that are stationed there, the women that are stationed there, just don't have it, and they're they're just not part of who they are. Not their so, thing. Yeah. So tell me about how is how is it like for hunting whitetail on Fort Benning? So hunting whitetail on Fort Benning, I, I, like we said before. Uh, so big change into state game land and hunting on a military base, uh, in certain spots, you kind of have like that when, when big open training areas where it's like heavy wooded lots, um, yeah, you kind of still have that, that state game land feel to it, but you have to understand that these deer hear explosions all day every day they see people run back and forth they see these big tanks that run back and forth all the time um it's very rare that you're going to get to a spot on post because i'm a big time fan i'm a big fan i'm sure most of us are a big fan of like here's the road i want to go five miles in and try to find i want to get into a spot where you have to walk five miles but it's very hard where we're at because we have so many fire breaks because of you know active fires and and the pines being burned and everything else for training reasons. And um, so it's very hard to like get out, out of somebody else's way. Like people will stack up and we, ours is take like the map of America and every, every state is a, is, is a sector that you have to sign out. So we get on our phones, there's an app and we sign out on a certain sector, which would be like this, just a training area. It might be, you know, 20 acres or it might be 120 acres but it's a a training area they have it set up that you know each training area can have a certain amount of hunters and then there's archery only there's muzzleloader only there's shotgun only uh you really and 
you know, then there's the wildlife regulations, there's state regulations, there's federal regulations, and then there's what the military regulates. So you have to know your rules. But if you're scared about getting into, um, into like on a military base and hunting, I, I would say it's some of the best hunting for a new, uh, for a newcomer one. And two, they're so easy to pattern. We were talking before that, you know, I shot my nine this year based off of trainees going to the chow hall. Like I knew this buck and these three or four doe were going to move every morning out of their bed, every afternoon out of their bedding area. Once these guys stood in formation in front of their bedding. So I just, I just waited and five minutes into a sit, I, I shot a nine. You know what I mean? So you could, it's, it's kind of a blessing and a curse being on pay, on base. Cause there's so much extra stuff. We have to pay an extra fee for a permit, but it's almost like our own, you know, like the guys that hunt it hard, it's our own little, um, you know, private lot, private land, because you have to have, you have to be either a visitor with somebody that's going to sponsor you who works or lives on base. Uh, you just can't just drive on base and start hunting or your active duty or some kind of veteran status that allows you to hunt there. So it's kind of like a club, like a hunting club. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, we're loaded with deer. Like there's some, there was some monster bucks and this year there has been huge deer getting harvested, you know, just be watching the Facebook page and everything. And it's all because of COVID COVID-19. So Last year, if you didn't reside on the build military base or you weren't active duty, you couldn't even get a permit. So we're sitting on, oh, man, I wish I knew. I think it's, it's huge. Like you just drop, whoever wants to look at it, like look at the map of Fort Benning. It's huge. I, I can't tell you the acreage, um, but it's loaded with deer. And now you think about it, we work so much. Most of us work 12 hour days. So most of us don't get out Monday through Friday. Like Saturday and Sunday is a big day for guys to hunt. So you're, most of the crowd is out Saturday, Sunday. The Monday through Friday, these deer don't get uh, pushed at all. And then if guys even get out, like there's rotations, obviously, to different countries. There, there's the, the amount of hunters last year drastically dropped for Fort Benning. So these deer were no pressure. They were making babies. They were growing antlers. And we're seeing the fruits of that this year. Like dudes are just smashing monsters left and right. But I say all that to say, I think the deer got used to low pressure. And then all of a sudden, like this thing happened and they didn't know what to do with it. Because the certain areas that I've been hunting for the past three years that I can guarantee, like if I if I was having a hard time putting meat in my freezer, I was going to these three or four spots. They weren't there this year. So this year has been a whole new learning experience. And this is my first year of using a uh, cell cam. So I ended up buying three muddy cell cams, just trying that all out because I, I was scrambling at the end. Yeah, they were there. You. I was going to ask you about that. If you, if you, if the military allows you to put cell cams on there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We can put cell cams like basically um, like I was saying before uh, the containment. So your archery only areas, the containment's like the only thing they kind of, they, they're kind of weird about, like they don't want you to be, you know, cause it's around housing and it could be around the school. It could be around a park. It's on the golf course. Um, you know, you don't want to be walking 
in at three o'clock in the afternoon while Jim is trying to tee up and you got your bow and your full can like they kind of want like your guy that you had on last week you kind of want to kind of be in, incognito about it right you just you want to get in there and you don't want to ruffle any feathers because that would ruin just like he said it's the same deal that would ruin your opportunities for next year if somebody complains oh well the deer died in my yard so you got to make a really have a really good shot pretty decent shot um you know you want to do that anyway but you really want it to like not go 20 you know what i mean <laughs> that's about it um so yeah so with the containment shoots we have to shoot just like he said we have to shoot a, a paper plate at 30 yards from a 15 foot elevation um you have to shoot like a it's like a six one of those cake plates uh so you shoot it with three broadheads it has to be, yeah, three broadheads can't be a field tip with your with your bow system at uh, 30 yards, 15 feet in the air. And once you have that, you get your permit for containment. And that kind of opens you up to like these bigger things where like a hanging hunt is where it's at. Like you'll see some guys in these back 40s that have like their ladder stands and their their lock-ons. But for me, and, and I know like probably going to get crushed for this in the comments, but I started saddle hunting and I know that's like some, some dudes are like, man, you don't even tell people you saddle hunt down here. I don't know what, how it's like up there, but like the saddle hunting thing is not a thing up down here. Really? Um, that's going to be popular. Yeah. It's, it's a growing, no. it's a, it's a growing popularity up here. I have several of my friends do it. I don't have the, the knee strength to be doing that stuff. So it's like, mm-hmm. I, I, I just do a ground and pound. I have a, a ghost blend that I use, but it's like, Hey, I've heard nothing but positive things about people doing it, which is kind of strange because arborers have been using harnesses for, for decades. Yeah. And all of a sudden yeah. now it becomes popular. I, I it's just strange well, to me. Jeff, you, you know, right. So like this tethered company came out threw enough money at something, got enough people involved. Mm-hmm. And, and but if you look at, so, um, Another little a hobby of mine is like heavy material sewing. So I sew like tactical equipment, backpacks, stuff like that. So I just looked at what I what I had in the shop and I was like, well, that's too easy. I'll just build one. Um, I wasn't about to spend six hundred dollars on, you know, looking at it. It might be a hundred and fifty dollars worth of material, maybe. And and I know the material they're running pretty much. I, I looked at one and I made one, right? Um, I thoroughly enjoy it because I hate having things with me. I like being free and being able to, like, I want to be able to just drop four sticks on the ground and drop my saddle next to it, cover it up with some trees and maybe just, you know, like stalk in on something. I don't want to have this big tree stand with me and I'm running around. I mean, I've been running the alpha uh alpha elite i think it is the elite okay. climber from Lone Wolf. um and so that's i mean that's like 11 pounds and it's nothing on your back but it wasn't comfortable you get up there and you're basically on a i mean i'm, I'm a pretty big dude i was basically on a six inch patch of like padding so that wasn't much fun but i i, I between me and a few friends i made a few saddles for some guys and you know, again, we won't brag that we're saddle hunters because it's just not a thing down here. I don't know why everybody hates the saddle hunters, but uh, yeah, I I enjoy it. I think if if you can get in on it, it's it's definitely it's just the most mobile I've that I think you can get. 
Yeah, next to next to a, like a very because my uh, ghost blind is only twelve pounds, but it's like the first day mm-hmm. I set it up, it took me like twelve minutes. Then uh, then every time after that, I kind of knew my strategy of setting it up. Now I'm, I'm yeah. able to have it up and setting it with under eight minutes. So it's like it's it's very convenient for me. So it's like just like anybody that's getting into a new technology, it's like your your, your learning curve is going to just drastically once you get your yeah. third or fourth set in. Yeah, for sure, and and like. When I obviously I made my own saddle, so that was kind of it was a little sketchier because I'm climbing. And I'm using I'm using a I'm using I had a muddy harness because I wasn't sure where the weight was supposed to be straddled. Right, I've I've been a I've been like working in the pipe foundry and the steel work and like being in a harness, I know where the weight's supposed to settle on. Okay, but um, and I had like uh, I had a muddy harness from climbing and using a climber, but like it's it's different because you're just using a small patch of it to lean in your weight, lean back on your, and sit in this, like a butt hammock, basically. That's what I call it. It's like a butt hammock. It's not supposed to be yeah. tight on anything. Uh, yeah. So my first like few climbs is like, I just get about five feet, check it, make sure everything is tight and, and climb another five and then check it again. So, but now it's down to, you know, I'll zip a few in. Like I don't, I, I've never used climbing sticks like the, the muddy ones. I, so I have a muddy climbing stick set and I never had the rope, like the quick tether where you just tether it up and then run a knot on it. But now it's maybe five minutes and I'm in the tree hanging. And like, I just, I run my, uh, I actually like using no lineman anymore. I just like running my uh, actual tether cord all the way up the tree. So by the time I'm up there, once I'm up, if, if a deer starts moving in on me, cause I, 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 like to bed hunt i don't like to i don't like to look for pathways i'm not looking for funnels i'm looking for bed and bedding and like tight to their bed so there's been plenty of times this year that i've been climbing up and i've had that just my uh my lifeline around and a deer has walked under me because i i'm not set up i'm not ready so i said screw that i'm using my tether the whole way up now so that's that's a big that was a big plus for me. That's I don't awesome. Know if anybody else has had that, you know, I haven't. I, you're you're the only second guest I've had that's actually was comfortable using the harness. Now, how much longer is your season going for? We have what? What's I don't know what today is, but it goes till the thirty first. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, because today's the twenty fourth. Yep. So I got what seven more days? Seven more days, maybe. Nice. I, I, I was a, gonna. It's a long one, man. It's it's so it's so long, and not to interrupt, but like I think when I got down here, I'm like, wow, it goes from like end of August, early bow to like late bow, because I'm in two different counties where the base splits two different counties. So you get okay. an early bow, and then you get a late bow. You get an early bow in one, you get a late bow in the next, and you're just like, it by dude by December last year. Uh, this year hasn't been a good season for me, but last year by December, I was, I was pooped, dude. I had like eight deer in the freezer and no bucks. And I was just like, I, I don't know if I could do this. We were going out duck hunting every, every Saturday. We were out smashing ducks at four o'clock in the morning. So uh-huh. just took a lot out of you. Like it's a long, it's a long, it's a marathon for sure. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, well, you know, for up here, so we start September, well, usually the second week or third weekend of September. Then it runs, all, depending on what county you're in, we'll run until the 31st. Now, I wanted to go hunting this past weekend, but I slept wrong. Uh, and my muscle group on my left side, 
it was all messed up. And so it's like, I, I was working hard with, um, let's see here. I think I got some emu oil here. No, no, I must put, I moved it away. But what it is, it's, it's a combination of meth, uh, several different um, oils with it, but it's, it's deep penetrating, but it doesn't, it's not as toxic as Ben Gay. So I was rubbing all mm -hmm. through here, but it's like when I, when you draw back, it's, that's, that's a muscle group that I'm pull, holding my bow with. And it's like, yeah. I don't want to compensate for something. And I hadn't shot in a while. So it's, well, I was hoping to get everything cleared up. And so it didn't ever happen. And then, Mine and my season is next weekend, and I won't be able to get out because I have to. I'm going down to Illinois for um for our our final Christmas. So there goes that opportunity <laughs> for going out. But I did nice. get one doe. That's so I was able to be successful. One thing, and uh, I saw one of the biggest bucks of my life, and it's like his. He came up on my right hand side, and it's like I'm not. I don't know how to shoot right handed, so it's like, and for me to be able to get in a shooting position, I have to do a complete 360 because where I thought he was coming out and where he came out were two different places, but you know, you went and learn, but it's like watching him and watching the matureness, the maturity of an old buck. And like, he didn't give two shits. I was up there. Like I yelled at him. Yeah. I tried to tell him, I'm trying to like, as I'm turning and I'm trying to get him, but it's like, he was parallel to me. He's like, I am not going to shoot an arrow at his spine. And it's like, and he never, mm -hmm. he never turned for me broadside. But I, yeah. if, if I was set up, right. 15 yard broadside, broadside shot been just dropped but you know yeah. i at least he'll survive and uh, i'm i'm going to redo my cameras in that area so this way i can watch him coming out of his bedding so but mm -hmm. it, it was nice to get a dough I'm, i got some meat in the freezer yeah and that's and that's the that's the big thing like can i get meat in the freezer and then this year was my first year that i saw a super mature like pretty much the same it, the biggest year i've ever seen in my life is that the one you said me? Yeah, and uh, I messed, I, I I think I messed up on. I didn't put too much pressure in there. I knew what what kind of pattern he was holding because of training. So I was actually watching. See, and here's here's another fort. Uh, you know, being on a military base, you're not watching for patterns of the deer. You're watching for patterns of people. So I knew every time there was a training thing in this land land navigation like testing area. I knew every time there was land nav testing this dude would move over. So I was waiting for that. And then I could move over. Like I knew he was, he was bedded up in the land nav area, which I, I guess you could have hunted, but I didn't know where to hunt. But every time they would have one the next morning, he was, he was in that spot, man. He's just, he's just a giant. I've seen him twice in a tree and both times he just, he knew something was up. Like it just, it, both times he wouldn't give me anything. And it, the one time he did give me something, I like turned around and this back to like me trying to learn the saddle. I turned around and I tried to shoot on my right, on the right side of the tree, which is not like, that's not the good side when you're saddle hunting. And I, I picked up my bow and went like that a little bit and I knocked the limb. And as soon as I hit that limb, he looked up at me and I was like, oh my gosh. And you can just tell he's been, he's been sitting in the, he's a swamp donkey because he has real dark tines. Like he's just, oh gosh, he's great deer. And I, I'm, I'm praying that he makes it through the season. I got him on camera Friday. He came in about 6.04 in the morning, which is still too dark for us. Him and Tudo walked through, but I haven't seen him since then. So oh, man, fingers crossed he makes it. I haven't seen people on my camera either. And so that's always a good thing too.
Well, the picture you showed me, that's some real thick brush there. And so it's like if you you hitting a twig it makes sense because it's it's yeah. very tight, and which makes sense for, for a mature buck like that to, to mm-hmm. have that type of coverage and that type of protection. Yeah, what's what's even crazier is I don't know if you ever heard of the, the birthday balloon buck. No, I have not. No, I haven't. All right, so so it's based off of thermals. So when uh, a birthday balloon, like a what are they called? The like cellu fane or whatever they're somebody's somebody's probably screaming at their at listening to this like they know the answer but it's it's the ones that say like happy birthday and you bring them home and they're kind of like foil okay um, no so about. they'll they'll float to a certain certain point right when you let them go but they'll hit air pockets in the in the sky that drop like your you get your lower thermal your hot air thermals well that's where bucks love to lay so I went and scouted this area and I saw two of them sitting in a pine tree. And I, and I remember, I don't know if it was like an old head that told me this or, you know, I, I mean, you can look it up. It's a real thing. It's called the birthday balloon buck or something. Um, but it, yeah, that's where like the air naturally thermals and like does like a, like a spiral down into a ravine and two pine trees or two, two, uh, balloons in a tree like they fell in and then i set up some cameras there sure as sure as heck man right under that tree he was laying looking at it across the field that is awesome to God. that's pretty cool it was yeah so every time every time i see those balloons i always look for like some kind of rub or some kind of scrape and I, you're gonna I, I would find it very hard for you not to see it because nine out of ten times i've seen them seen a rub very near to that that is cool. I learned, I had uh, my friend Zach New on my podcast, and we were talking about communication and rubs and stuff like that. And when you see old rubs, it's 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 not the 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 a buck marking his territory. He's trying to figure out where all the does are, where all the honeys are. And if it mm-hmm. hasn't been touched yep. up in a while, it's because the does aren't there. And it's like now I understand why during that conversation why they manufacture or produce a non estrous urine because it's like all you need to do is like if you're if you're trying to keep him that way right there you can just drop a yep. little bit on that rub right there and it's like they'll cut he'll continue going that way and continue hitting that spot because it's like you mm-hmm. drop estrus too soon he's going to know something's up yeah and, and and they're not dumb right because that doe and what again i'm not you know i'm not on the outdoor channel so i'm not the professional hunter but things i've learned and we were talking about scent earlier is you know don't people give these deer like this big thing where their scent is their scent is like everything and we got to cover and I'm, I'm not a cover guy. So I, I don't, I don't care about it. Like the last time, actually the last time I shot a doe, um, I had a dryer sheet hanging out of my, the bottom of my pants cause they got stuck in there and I never took it out. Okay. Right? So I, I think big, big thing that people miss out on and, could you get, could I get more chances of some deer? I don't know, but I know this works for me is the wind and then, um, basing their, <laughs> their movement. Like you're talking about this, the doe urine, um, what people are missing is they just hang it in one spot. But what you're forgetting is a deer, you know, people are so wrapped up in this, the, the smell thing, but they don't, they don't look past the, okay, well, if the deer knows where you just walked, cause they could smell that you know, the, every step you take, there's like air that comes out of your pants. That's what they say. And it goes onto the ground and the bacteria spreads out and they could tell where you went. But when a doe marks, uh, you know, a scrape or a rub or 
you know, when they rub into it, all that, all that pee that they let run down and through their, hit their glands and everything, all that is traveling with them. So if you're going to drop, and, and we've had success like on camera doing this, if you're going to drop into a scrape that's already been made, you know, walk another 10 feet and drop a little bit more because that buck, okay, you got there, but all, all he smells is a, a human or something unnatural coming up to that scrape. Now he smells a too much pee because most guys will just bomb it. And then they walk to their stand and they've set up a camera, but they forget the trail out of it. So set up the trail out of it and you could kind of guide. And I've, I've seen dudes do that to guide into a funnel. And I've seen guys use their like socks and stuff to build a human funnel and like tighten that, tighten that deer's movement up. So big thing on scent again, for me, I don't, I don't care what I smell like. I think it just makes you hunt a little bit harder and know the wind and bring, I bring a windicator with me and I just hope that it, what I'm doing is working. And I just play the thermals real hard, but if you're going to use scent and you're going to use those, that esterous or the non-esterous, you know, think about how they're moving. And that's why dudes use those drag lines too. Right. But just, just my two cents. That's a, that's a good Not, point. No pun end. intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that is a really good spot to end on. That's really good advice right there to create that. Well, before you, before you wrap up here, can you explain more about a human funnel? Cause that's terminology that I'm, I've heard. I just kind of want to hear your definition played out a little bit more. So like a human funnel, right? We, uh, so uh, where we're, we're on base, you can't, you can't drive per se, but you can wind bump. So if I know a friend is out in a, in a tree stand and I'm running late, I'm going to wind bump in favor of him. So these old heads back in the day, and my grandfather was a hunter and he always had like these hunting mags. And I'll never forget. There was like a sock hanging on a fence post. And like, I, I was, I was old enough to read and I was looking at it. He was telling me, well, you put, you know, they put socks up pre-season and it would push this human scent a certain way that would it would force it would force the deer around that fence post. Or you take um, like some of us will take uh, like I'll take a t-shirt out with me, and if I know I want to hunt that spot later in the season, I'll just throw a t-shirt on there. And the the funnel portion is like if I have the area that I'm at, if I have a creek that I know he sits on all the time. And I don't want them to push up any further, but I know my thermal pattern is always coming down into that creek. I'll set up that t-shirt or whatever a little bit higher, or I'll do my walk up in there and I'll J hook in. Like you guys, you run like a, you don't understand like a J hook, like to get to your stand. So it like pushes them in. It's the same deal. Like, but just using something else as your, the funnel portion of it. So if it's, you know, a barrier, um, you know, is it a transitional line? Is it a creek? Is it a ridge line? But using your own scent to push that deer into that. But you, again, it has to be the right way to play the wind. I gotcha. I hope that, that makes sense. It does. It does. To me, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I completely understand where you're going for that. And I'm I'm sure some of my uh, listeners will understand that as well, or they'll find it as a very uh. uh something they want to try out or at least maybe do some experimenting with it in their area based off of how the wind traditionally goes, you know, and just kind of play with around in the early season to see what they do. Cause I 
brave reach um, gun hunters and bow hunters. So it's gonna it's gonna yeah. impact somebody so, at some point in time, or they're gonna do it to upset a neighbor. Yeah, and this and this is not even like uh, not unqual or not unresearched because like we we see it all the time. Like you can in this training areas, and I'm not saying we we were in a training area or you're gonna hunt a training area, but you know there's certain paths that trainees always take right and then five feet off that path is another path and it's a a game trail path but you take when those two when those two paths will very very rarely meet up but you could almost again it's it's something for guys that can hunt on a post or off of a hiking trail you know in the state game land just look off that hiking trail and see what see what's there I, i almost I can't guarantee, but it, it normally is like a, a trail, uh, a game trail, because they'll they'll run that pattern that you got you keep running because they know you're there. So it's almost like a confidence cow in a way. Very true. Well, John, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. We talked a lot yes. of good topics here, and I'm hoping that this human funnel um, conversation will find some use for somebody down the road. So thank you, John, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, man. What are the best ways to find you and your podcast? So basically we are a servants podcast. It's on everything, but uh, Twitter, I guess. Yeah. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, just trying to get the word out of the good word of God, basically. And uh, we do it in a, we do it in a more of a study. It's not a lecture and I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you're, if you're wondering about God, hit me up. We'll, we'll talk to you. There you have it folks. Well, thank you for tuning into another episode of the bucks of America podcast. Thank you, John, for coming on and I'll let thank everybody you. go. You're welcome, sir. All right, folks. Thank you for tuning into another episode of bucks of America podcast. I am your host, Jeff fans, but this is the cooking edition. I have my friend, John Duff Duffield, and he is going to talk about his recipe. I'm pretty excited about it. He's going to get me some pictures. So this way everybody else can witness it as well. So John, why don't you tell us about your venison recipe? All right. So I don't know if this is the wrong thing to do with the backstrap, but you're going to grind the backstrap up and make Burger pa- I'm just kidding. You don't grind the backstrap. Never grind the backstrap. <laughs> your, your face is like, are you kidding me? This is what we're doing right now? Yeah, I was a little, oh, it's no. like, what the heck here? It's like, this wasn't what you told me. No, so I, t- I take the backstrap. I take the, the, the widest piece of the backstrap, which is normally up at your shoulder blades. And um, I take it and I lay it down and I spiral it out. So I, I start cutting on one side and just kind of chopping it out. Once it's completely flat you you don't not butterfly don't butterfly you want to actually spiral it out so just keep working it and rolling it out like a what did my wife call it like a cinnamon roll you know um using your knife and once it's flat out you want to you can tenderize it if you want just to kind of even it all out um then i mix cream cheese brown sugar worcestershire sauce jalapenos cooked already so you saute some jalapenos and some onions uh, dice them up cook them up and then mix it all in the cream cheese the jalapenos Um, sometimes i'll throw in some cheddar cheese in there and then i smooth it over top of the whole thing Um, so now i have basically uh your your backstrap unrolled and then you have this cream cheese brown sugar jalapeno popper topping on top of that little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, whatever, whatever floats your boat on that. 
Then I roll it up. I set my big, big game tip, right? Set your um, stove for double the amount of heat that you want your end result to be. So if I want a 130 inside, I'm going to go for a 260. And it sounds super low, but it's low and slow. We're going to do a reverse sear on it. So what I'll do is I'll wrap it up completely, roll it back up again, like a cinnamon roll, but as a log or a pumpkin roll, maybe. Um, and then I take a butcher twine and I bind it up like you would a roast, just do three or four um, you know, wraps, depending on the size. And then I put it in a cast iron pan and I throw it in that 260 oven. 260 is normally the spot. Uh, Check it at 25, 35, and 45. And what you're looking for is you're looking for the internal temp to be around 130. That's that's kind of where I want to go. But a little bit, depending where you like it, that's like that's going to give you a medium rare at the end. Uh, I just feel like, you know, I, I like bloody meat. I like rare, but I also like to be able to cut it and chew it and eat it. And this this is kind of one of those things where you kind of have to, don't overcook it, but medium rare is good. Uh, if you like less, then obviously scale it back 10 degrees below what you want it to end at. I pull it out. Now, the cheese should be melted. The meat should be at about 130 or 125, wherever you feel. Let it sit for 10 minutes. Once you sit it for 10 minutes, while you're doing that, if you have a turkey fryer, this is, this is very important. Take your cast iron and put it on the turkey fryer and crank the turkey fryer up to like as high as it can get to where your cast iron looks like the gates of hell. Once that happens, after your 10 minutes of resting, you're going to take your roll of venison goodness and you're going to put it in a dry, hot cast iron pan and you're going to roll it around and just get that good, crispy, crispy bits. It should be like, depending how hot it gets, I would say a minute and a half to two minutes each side. And I just, Roll it around till it's got a good crunch and it's got that good char on it and bring it back out, put it on the cutting board. And I do like a 10 minute rest on that. I kind of, I like to let it rest there because by that time the cream cheese kind of has too much. It's like too melty. So you want to let it rest a little bit and then cut it up. And literally my mouth is watering. Just think about it. We're going to have that tomorrow and I'll get your pictures for you. But yeah. That sounds amazing. So Where did it you? So how did you come? Did, was this something that you you camp yourself, or yeah. was this taught? So, so I I married a woman who lets me hunt, no matter what. But she makes stir fry. So I, I like cooking. I, I grew up in my mom's kitchen, my grandmother's kitchen. I like watching cooking. I I enjoy the the whole. I think one of the coolest things that happen in the outdoor YouTube realm is these catching cooks where you get to watch people like do different recipes. And uh, I just looked at a jalapeno, almost like the dove popper that uh, your buddy did. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, like the piece of some dudes do like the deer heart instead of the dove and then wrap it in bacon. Um, yeah. But we just, we like the stuffed, um, the stuffed, the, the roll, the backstrap roll. It's, and uh, the, <clears throat> I know brown sugar kind of sounds weird, but it's definitely, it's the move because it's got the sweet, it's got the savory from the cream cheese, it's got the spice from the jalapeno. And it's, it's super important to cook those jalapenos prior. Otherwise you get, 
they, they're just not going to get cooked enough in the oven you're, to make them like soft and palatable. Otherwise, you're just chopping. I mean, if you're a big fan of that weird texture, then rip, go rip for it. But everything's by sight. Like it, I couldn't give you any real measurements because it has to cover the cream cheese, has to cover the meat, the brown sugar, just sprinkle it on. I'll try to get some pictures of that. And then the peppers, I think we do like two or three of those and some onion maybe. Nice. Depending how we're feeling that night. But dude, it is it is so good. It's I'm so looking good. forward to it. And even if you look like, yeah. we do the cream cheese, like just do a silent video of it. And this way then we can we can grasp like how thick you put on it, if you can change up the angles and just, just yeah. record it and don't even put any sound to it. But this way then we can we can see how much you put onto it and how you how you spread it out. And then but the biggest thing is yeah. getting to like how long of a piece of backstrap do you, you use to get so you can cook and uh create that a decent length but also a, have a good structure when you turn into a cinnamon roll yeah so like i would say georgia deer in georgia deer it's probably giving about six inches it's kind of like where the rib cage stops okay you know what i mean and then and then it kind of thins out a little bit and almost looks like a tender that's pretty much about as far as you're going to get the two i'm making tomorrow uh we took we we just had a somebody shot bad bad shot spine shot so we lost some of the backstrap so i have two five to six inch strips that i'm going to cut up and make into two individual rolls um another way that you could cook it like do that slow uh cook process is in a smoker we do that a, more often than not we don't put it right into the if i can put something into my smoker i do it <laughs> and my smoker i could hold 260 so i'll hold that 260 but um yeah, smoker first and then reverse sear and then sear at the end is probably it hands down the best one of the best deer things you can do. Oh, that sounds and, amazing. And, and every yeah, and everybody that sits around it, like when we do this, it's normally like I was telling you, it's normally like a big feast. Like we do like different cuts and all our friends come over. But like when people come in, they see this uh it's almost like a pan is a pancetta where they do the pig and they wrap it up, like the Italians do that. I you think so. I, I know what you're getting at. I know I know what you're talking about. I'm not sure if that's the right term with it. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's a pancetta, but um, it's almost like that. And everybody comes in, they just see this roll of cream cheese and spice. And then I'll throw like some sea salt on top of it. And okay. even better yet, another, another big pro tip, red wine. So take, take that hot pan after you're done rolling everything in it. And if you, if you like alcohol or, you like cooking with alcohol because obviously it doesn't have the alcohol content. Let that pan cool down just a little bit and then deglaze it with any kind of dry red wine. And that will make this glaze that goes on deer like, oh, it's so good. Oh, it's man. So good. Oh, my mouth's watering again. Dude. There you go. You <laughs> oh, did it. Sounds like you you really have this down pat, man. It's like, this is really inspirational. It's like, I, I'm curious about this too, but I want to try this out. Uh, I won't be able yeah. to do it this weekend, but I want, this is going to be one of the ones I want to give it a, give it a shot, man. Well, yep. thank you again for coming on the podcast, John. You were a great guest. So I'm looking forward to talking to you in the future, man. For sure, dude. Thanks. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome.